First John and the fourth chapter. We will read the first six verses. First John chapter four, verse one to verse six. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that light has come from you. And consequently, we have the truth not only in the sacred pages before us, but also in our hearts. We plead for a visitation from heaven as we now spend some time thinking together concerning the truth of your word and oh how we plead that you would apply it to the hearts of each one of us. God our plea is that you would glorify yourself. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, brethren, we have been uh, saying that as we look at First uh, John, we are essentially seeing a letter that was written primarily to encourage those who are the people of God in arriving at a strong sense of assurance of salvation. And we have said that this is crucial for two reasons. One is the way in which you are going to handle the temptations and trials in this world and also the way in which you're going to serve the Lord is tied up with your sense of whether you know you're going to go to heaven or you don't know where you're going. As we were just singing in the last song, that's the way the love of God is when you have genuinely experienced it. You know that despite being a sinner, God has had mercy on you. He's pardoned you of your sins. He's changed your destination from hell to heaven. You want to share that love of God 
with others. It's a glorious reality. And consequently, knowing that I am saved is something all of us need to know. But also, as we said even last week, is to do with your destination. When you have died, it's too late if you were misguided, if you were wrong, if you thought you were a believer, and then discover on the opposite end that you, are, you were not, it's too late. There is nothing that you can do. You recall I spoke about that book, uh, Celestial Railroad, by uh, Nathaniel, I forget his other name, and how as he was crossing the, the last body of water <clears throat> to get to... Uh, the final destination, the one who was taking him across, began to produce smoke in his ears and in his nostrils. And at that point realized that in fact he was not on a journey to heaven, he was actually on a journey to hell. And that little book ends on that note as the, the, the one who's taking him on this boat uh, lets out a laughter that sounded devilish. And so he realized now it is too late. So the tests that are in this particular book are meant to, to almost function like a checklist so that you are constantly asking yourself the question, is this true of me? Now some of them are negative and consequently if they are true of you, then they are saying you are not a child of God. Some of them are positive, and consequently, if they are true of you, they are pointing to the fact that you are a child of God. And it's crucial if God has put an entire epistle together in order to help us clear our minds concerning this whole issue, that you should not jeopardize your eternity by going ahead carelessly and simply convincing yourself, I did this, I did the other so many years ago, consequently, I must be a child of God. Well, that's what we've been seeing as we've been going through this book. And when we came to chapter 3, we clearly saw that there was the test of holiness and the test of uh, love. But as we're in chapter 4, we've spent at least three to four weeks looking at this plea of John that we ought to, to test the spirits. And we will be winding up our time in these six verses this morning. Again, the fact that John interrupts his thought process because as you look at verse 7, he's clearly still wanting to deal with the subject of love. But the fact that he interrupts himself to now deal with this whole issue where he puts the responsibility on you as an individual believer to test the spirits. And clearly, as we have seen, it is not so much some mystical spirit floating in the air, he's basically saying, put to test 
everyone who stands before you as a teacher from God. Make sure you don't believe everybody simply because that person says that he has come with God's word before you. Don't! Because you can quite easily jeopardize your own future. You can end up believing what is false until it is too late. We saw that the test has to do ultimately with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the big gospel issues and not the finer details that we often argue about. It is that which has to do with salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what he deals with. And it's important that we put people to that test. Then last week we also saw the reason why we who are true believers don't end up being swept away by false teachers. And John was saying it is because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's the reason why. And he who is in us is clearly God himself. God by his Holy Spirit is resident within our hearts. And because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, he teaches truth to us in the inner man. Consequently, when error is coming to our ears, it just doesn't tie in. And consequently, we are able to discern that this is not God. This might be having some semblance of Christianity, but it is not true to the word of God. So that's what we saw together last week. Today, <clears throat> it's a consequence of uh, eating mice in Eastern Province. <clears throat> no, I didn't eat any mice. Don't, don't take that seriously. But I was teaching all week, so that explains it. As John ends this section, he is clearly wanting to finally deal with us who are listening to him. In other words, yes, we are able to see who is a true teacher and who is a false teacher. But John is also saying, what about us? Are we the real thing or are we counterfeit? And this is the way he puts it in verse 6. Beginning with himself, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Clearly the point that John is making is that 
depending on, on whom we listen to, we betray what we are like on the inside. If we end up following those who are heretical teachers and we are carried away with them, most likely we are betraying the fact that the Spirit of God is not resident within our hearts. On the other hand, one of the ways in which we know that we are true children of God is that we do not follow such teachers. Instead, we listen to those who have, as it were, the apostolic stamp upon them. Those who are true to this book. And when we find that that is what is happening with us, despite the crowds that might be going in an opposite direction, that in itself is proof that God has done a work of grace. Let's look at the way in which he puts it before us. And the right starting point is to realize that God inspired the apostles and their writings. God inspired the apostles and their writings. And so John says there at the beginning of verse 6, we are from God. Now he's used this phrase before. If you just read a few verses earlier, you will notice that that's the language that he has been using there. It is the language of those of us who are Christians being from God. Verse, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And all it means there really is that you are regenerate. The spirit of God is in you. Your life has come from God. It is no ordinary, natural life. God has done something in you, which is now being exhibited by the kind of life you are now living. However, when it comes to verse 6 and says we are from God, he is not simply saying we are regenerate. He's saying something a little more. And he's saying this, that our message, the message that we have, is also from God. In other words, he is now particularly referring to himself and the other apostles. How do I know that? Well, look at the next phrase. He says that whoever knows God listens to us. Now, John is not concerned about what we might call mutual sharing, encouraging one another, because as you know, often in mutual sharing, we tend to plunge into a lot of waters of ignorance, sharing ignorance among ourselves. What he's referring to there is the apostles themselves, and consequently saying, look, whoever is also from God, will listen to us, us who are the sent out ones, us who are inspired by God, us who are the apostles 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be sure that that was a major battle in those days. You remember that the Apostle Paul himself was often questioned concerning his credentials. And he would argue out the case that indeed he was an apostle. Jesus Christ had appeared to him. He had been given the charge to preach the word, not simply by a body of elders, but by Jesus Christ himself. He had come from God. Now that's important. It's important that we realize that there is something unique about these individuals that God had consequently sent among his people. It was not an accident that they were coming sharing the truths concerning Jesus Christ. They knew that God had sent them. That they had a message from God himself. And it was a message that was coming to a people that were plunging headlong into the valley of death. And consequently they were coming and saying, stop, stop going this way. This is the way you ought to go. This is the way of life. They had the answer as far as salvation was concerned. And this answer has finally been put together for us in this book. When you are reading those epistles, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and so on and so forth, all the way to the book of Revelation, realize this is God inspiring his servants with his word so that in every generation we might know exactly what the mind of God is for us. These are not the mere writings of men. In other words, if somebody is teaching something and it contradicts what is in these writings, that person is the one who is in error. This book cannot be wrong. The authors are from God. Do you realize this? Do you realize that the book that you have on your laps comprises the very word of God, the word of your creator, the word of the one who governs history, the word of the one before whom you are going to stand on the day of judgment, the God who saves sinners. Do you, when you open these writings, are you conscious of that? That God spoke to these men. And consequently, they put his mind into print. Oh friends, what a privileged people we are. 
that we should have the writings of men who are from God. Sent by God. Regenerated by God. Taught by God. And finally given his very words. If you're one of those individuals therefore whose Bible is often closed and you only pick it up on a Sunday, shame on you. Yes, shame on you. That God should have gone into the trouble of inspiring fellow mortals with a clear message for you, for your well-being on this earth, for your eternal well-being, and you shut it, and you are reading novels all the time, you're watching blue movies on the TV, and especially the Nigerian movies. You know what I'm talking about. We have individuals that are from God. And we are consequently a people that are highly privileged. But once we realize that, therefore, we must accept that God does not leave our listening to them purely to us. Rather, he has ensured, he has done something to ensure that those who are truly his children will listen to his servants as they share his truth. They will. And this is the way John puts it. Back to our text. 1 John 4 and verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever knows God listens to us. Now that's a blessed state to be in, I tell you. Because what it's really telling us is this, that John was never the kind of person who when the vast majority of people don't want to listen to him, he's not the kind of person who then wants to start adjusting his message, pouring toffees on top of it, putting in a lot of sugar so that he could increase the number of people to listen to him. No, 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 no. John was never anxious. He was never worried as to whether people will listen to him or not. One thing he knew was this. Those who are truly God's children, those who know God, they will listen to us. They will. No need to turn ourselves into motivational speakers. And hide the rough corners of scripture. No need. Those who are truly the children of God will listen. He knew 
that they would stay. He knew that they would listen to apostolic teaching. Jesus made a similar claim. If we can just go to John 18. John 18 and verse 37. The gospel of John. And chapter 18. Jesus speaking to Pilate. I'll begin from verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, John 18, verse 37, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Listen to this. To bear witness to the truth, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Of course, Pilate was still full of pride there and quickly said to him, What is truth? As though to say, ah, What are you saying? What are you saying? Jesus was not worried. He wasn't busy trying to convince Pilate so that Pilate maybe might release him. Entering into some deals with Pilate to save his own skin. No, Jesus knew this man is unregenerate. He's still in his sins. He is blind. He is spiritually dead. He cannot take the truth. He can't. But those in whom God has worked, I know they will. There was a time when Jesus was teaching and a lot of those that were his followers left him. He turned to the twelve and said to them, are you also going to leave me? But clearly Peter, in whom the work of regeneration had already taken place, said, we cannot go elsewhere because who else has the words of life? He knew that even though the teachings may be hard sometimes, this is the truth. And consequently, he was willing to live by it. We find the same with respect to the Apostle Paul when he was dealing with the many gifts that were in the New Testament church in 1 Corinthians and chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If we can just quickly turn there, I want you to notice what he says there. I'm sure you know the difficulties that were in Corinth. There were many gifts, supernatural gifts, extraordinary gifts that had been poured upon the New Testament church, the early church. They didn't quite know how to handle those gifts, especially during their worship services. Because you had people with gifts of knowledge, other people with gifts of tongues, and others with gifts of interpretation of tongues, and, and others had the gifts of prophecy, and all kinds of different gifts that they had, and they all wanted to share them within the context of the worship services. Invariably, it became a place of utter confusion. 
the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 to try and correct this kind of um, misbehavior, the, the confusion, in fact, the chaos that was taking place in the church. But notice the way he puts it um, in verse 37. I'll begin from verse 36 because he's now more or less finished giving the, the precise instructions. And this is the way he says it. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? In other words, I've given you these instructions. I don't expect you to be stubborn as if the word of God came from you and is going to everybody else or that you have the monopoly of the word of God. Now listen to verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. In other words, apostolic teaching is not my own fancy. It's not coming from me. This is the very words of God. So if anyone is claiming to be a servant of God, bringing God's word to you in some supernatural way, at least there's one thing he must acknowledge, that what I have said is the truth. I am an apostle of Christ. If he doesn't, don't even listen to him. Don't. If he doesn't, don't recognize him. Forget him. If he does not acknowledge the instructions I have given you. Well, brethren, the point is, has been made. That if you are a person who has come to know Christ, you have been saved from sin. One of the clear evidences is this, that you will bow to the writings that are in this book. You will bow to them. If someone comes to you and is correcting your personal behavior, your corporate behavior, and is showing you from this book. You don't just say, ah, oh, you, you, that's what you, 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 you are saying. I mean, me, I've got my own favorite verses, John 3.16. That's the one I live by. You don't do that. If that's what this book says, then I must obey it. That's where you see that a person is genuinely converted. One obvious area of application here is to do with who you marry. How many individuals end up being in affairs with unbelievers? And even when you've shown them clearly in both the Old and the New Testament that this is the mind of God that a child of God marries a fellow believer. It's there. 
a few weeks later, you hear that the wedding still took place. The person still married a non-believer. What are we to conclude? What are we to conclude? This is not about your pastor or your elder. It's got nothing to do with them. They are but conduits. They are simply showing you this is what the apostles say. This is what the word of God says. If you are regenerate, this word will bind your conscience. You will say, I would rather die than betray him who has paid such a price for me. I want. Whoever knows God listens to us. Listens to us. Listens to us. And that's one reason why invariably the Christian church must not only have an entry door, it must also have a door with the words exit. Okay. That's not what it means there. But for discipline, you know what I mean? For discipline. Because those who will not obey the words of the apostles have no business remaining within the church. And I don't mean attending church services, but being in its membership. They've got no business there. Because they are showing in practice that they are not children of God. That they don't know God. Whoever knows God listens to us, says the Apostle John. Are you doing that? And this listening is not simply listening, you know? I know in our vernacular language, listening and hearing is really the same word. It's not simply words going in here, but listening in terms of obeying. Submitting to it. Are you doing that? Because if you are arguing with the Bible, it simply means you don't know God. Let me extrapolate. It means when you die, you are going to hell. Even if you attended church the whole of your life. If you know you are willingly living a life of disobedience to the clear teaching of scripture. What it means is that your heart is unregenerate. It is. The opposite is also true. That those who are unregenerate are the ones that completely refuse apostolic teaching. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. It's a judgment. It's part of what God did in the Garden of Eden when spiritual death took place in the case of Adam and Eve and all that followed. It's a judgment that God sustains over all who are in sin. And it is this, that without the spirit of God, 
they cannot accept what they are hearing. They cannot accept. Just two quick verses and I must hurry on. First John chapter two. First John chapter two. Ah, sorry, first Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse 12 to verse 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Okay? That's the positive side. Remember it? We've just gone through it. Listen to the negative. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So it's not simply a choice that one or two stubborn sinners are making. No. It is the clear evidence that you don't have the spirit of God in you. You don't. That's why you don't understand the things that are being taught. That's why they don't thrill you. They don't win you over. They don't cause you to to submit your life to their precepts. It's simple. The spirit of God is not in you. Therefore, these things are foolishness to you. They are folly. You laugh at those who are really committed in terms of their time, in terms of their finances, in terms of using their gifts and properties for the extension of God's kingdom. You look and say, but why? Why? Why be so wasteful? Why? Because for you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Life revolves around you. And it's because the Spirit of God has not awakened you. He hasn't opened your eyes. He doesn't live in you. You are still on your way to hell. Wake up to that reality. Or as he finally puts it to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 9 to verse 11. I hope by now you are convinced that this is not John being hard. Paul is saying exactly the same thing. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. And here it is. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
Therefore, there it is, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God sends a strong delusion. And friends, I have no doubt that that's the day in which we live. Because how, how, how can people who have truly come to know the Lord, at least claim to, be satisfied with being in a context where Christ is not being preached as the apostles preached him. And just because it's being mentioned somehow, but it's all about them having more money in their pockets and getting jobs and getting promoted and businesses going up and so so this Jesus is there to just make sure that you 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 as someone has said have your best life now and they are there in their thousands thousands tens of thousands You ask them. Let's, let's begin from Romans. Is that what Paul teaches in Romans 1? Is that what he teaches in Romans 2? Is what he teaches in Romans 3? Is that what he teaches in Romans 4? Is that what he teaches in Romans 5? And all the way to Romans 16, is this what he is teaching? Or is he teaching about repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That an unholy life leads you to hell. It is a life that has been saved by Jesus. That has sins forgiven. A heart changed. A life that lives in holiness. Wherever it might be. In the home, in the school, in the workplace. Isn't that what he is teaching? How then do you content yourself with a Jesus who has just now been reduced to some big magician? That if you put your hands in your pocket and I finish praying, money will come out out of your pockets. And everybody puts their hands in their pockets. That that's what Jesus will do. Isn't that a big delusion? I'm asking, isn't that a major delusion? Isn't that the judgment of God upon an entire generation? That men and women should contend themselves with all this and reject the Bible's clear teaching about about Jesus Christ. Let me say this to you. If that's what you are contented with, 
and the opening up of the length and breadth and height and depth of the love of God in Jesus Christ doesn't thrill you, doesn't cause you to worship the Lord, but to you it's boring stuff. You want to be where the magic is happening. The message is clear. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. The messages that we have written in all our letters, that's boring to them. They would rather torture a verse somewhere until it confesses a lie. That's what they are happy with. Rather than the truth of the word of God. I'm saying, realize this. Realize this. That if the subject of the atonement, redemption, justification, regeneration as we've already spoken about, holiness, glorification, sanctification, all these strong biblical truths, we can even throw in election if we want, if these are not your bread and Butter. There is a big issue here. There is a big issue. And this is what John finally ends with. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That conclusion at the end concludes everything that he has just been speaking about. He has spoken about the need for us not to believe every spirit, but to test every spirit. He has given us how we are to do it. Is Jesus Christ being taught as he is taught in the scriptures? Is that the way he is being taught and understood? Or has a little bit about him been mixed with a whole track load of error? He is saying that is the way in which you separate the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He has also told us that those who are genuinely Christ's will overcome heretical teachers. They will overcome heretical teachers. He's also finally told us they will listen to us. They will listen. So there it is. Where does this find you? Who are you listening to? Because who you listen to betrays what's happening in your soul. It does. What are your favorite books? Are there books that are teaching you the truths in here? Or are there books that are simply somehow making you feel nice? Just making you feel nice. Yes, with a little verse here and there, but clearly it's not these strong teachings about the person and work of Christ. No. It's the kind of titles we have today. How to be a winner. How to be a champion. 
today. How to be victorious. How to be successful. And that quickly makes you pay quick money to go and read. And when you come across a title saying the person and work of Christ, I want how to be successful. Not interested in all this. Not interested. If you are impatient with the teachings on Christ and all you want is to be healthy and wealthy, you are lost. And I'm saying that with all the love in my heart. You are lost. And I'm simply telling you what John is saying here. Before he gets back to the subject of love, you are lost. And what you should do is instead of misapplying verses of the Bible, it is to cry to Christ, plead with him that he may truly, truly save you. That's what you should do. So that once he changes you, this book and its teachings will come alive to you. It will be your bread and butter. Like the man in Psalm 1, you, you, you will meditate upon it day and night. You'll be thrilled by it. And you want to live your life according to this book. That's the way to heaven, dear friends. It is trusting in Jesus and obeying the Jesus of the Bible. Anyone who brings you a Christianity other than that, run for your life. Amen.